Y'all still breathing out there? Good. Amen. Are you ready for the word? So I'm going to do something that is going to be scary, and it might make my husband lose his breath, but I need to preach this word, and I'm going to ask them to turn that back screen off and that screen off, and I do not want to see the clock because I want to flow by the Spirit today. And you know what? Let me tell you something. That actually means it's probably going to be shorter, but it's a mental thing, and I'm going to tell you this. God is the God of time. And if you need to go at any point because your bus is leaving, I'm not the person who gets offended. I'm going to get it out, and you can listen to it later. Amen? But this is a word that I'm to deliver today on Rosh Hashanah, and I believe it's a word that has the power to unlock some things in your life that today something's going to happen that you will literally live out and walk out the rest of your year. Who is ready for the word? So what I'm going to do, if you will give me grace, I'm not a preacher. I'm a prophet. And so I'm going to just prophesy. So it's not going to be so beautiful and so polished. And it's so crazy. I've had this word in my belly for some time. And all weekend, I was able just to mark through and say, oh, already been said, already been said. So I'm going to pull in the leftovers today because God has already released so much of his prophetic word through all the speakers. But I am going to talk about Esther and I'm going to talk about the very famous verse we have said over and over in Esther 414 for such a time as this. And that's what I'm going to title what I'm saying to the, today, but I'm going to focus on one word in that phrase, you have been called into the kingdom for such a time as this. I'm going to focus on time. Shout time. For such a time as this. And I want to speak into the time that we are entering into, into and what that time means for your life. Are you ready? So you don't have to stand unless you want to. And I don't care if you turn, flips, run, just don't fall asleep on me. Um, and I want you to receive the word of the Lord today. Oh, I mean, you don't have to say, I'm not reading the word. I just told you the word. It's, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to confuse you. I'm jumping into the word today, okay? For such a time as this. I got so much scripture to read. Trust me, just buckle your seatbelt. We are living, as Pastor Paula said, in an extreme time of transition. And there are two words that came to my spirit as I was pondering on the story of Esther and have been for quite some time over the past two years, that we are living in the kingdom for such a time as this. And it's so easy to read over a scripture like that and miss each word having such significant meaning. Because if you don't know the time in which you're living, you won't know the action that you should take. If I don't know I have an appointment, how can I be on time for that appointment? And that's why I have a revelation and a schedule and an assistant that tells me what time it is for certain things. And some of you are missing divine opportunities simply because you're ignorant of the times. Last Sunday at our church, Pastor Kevin spoke on the sons and the daughters of Issachar. They were specific military individuals in David's army that did not swing a sword. They did not have a spear. They did not have a slingshot. Their weapon was to understand time. Their, their simple instructions to the army of the Lord was to tell them when they should move and when they shouldn't move and what God was saying about times and seasons. And I'm here to tell you, as God created the earth, even in the book of Genesis, guess what he created on the fourth day? Four is going to be such an important number today. Anybody trivia question, what did he create on the fourth day? 
the sun and the moon. And why were they put in the sky? So that we would not be ignorant of the times and the seasons. So as we are entering into this strategic year, if there's ever been a time, you need to ask for understanding of the clock of God. Why did I take it off the screen? Because you've got to stop looking at the clock of man. You're going to miss it. If you look at your natural calendar and you look at your natural schedule and you're continually watching minutes and hours and days, you're going to miss it. We are stepping over the threshold. You can see these doors up here. We're stepping over the threshold of a season that God is about to turn earthly time upside down. He's about to turn earthly time inside out. He's about to unravel time as you know it. It's about to be a Joshua moment where you're on the battlefield and you think that earthly time is against you. And God says, no problem. I'm still the God of time. I'll just freeze the sun in the sky and I'll create more time in the day so I can fulfill my will. See, we think God is bound by time, but God doesn't live in time. He lives in eternity. You are bound by time. And that's why God can go into your past, do something in your present, and reach into your future at the same time. I'm stuck right here, but God's already been ahead of me. In fact, a good Jewish rabbi would teach you, God is not walking into your future. He's actually walking backwards from your future. That's what they teach. God is walking backwards from what has already been. He's the Alpha and the Omega. And he starts at Omega and he moves back to Alpha. So where you're going, he's already been. And I'm here to tell you where you've been. He, it's not something that's just in your past that will always define you. God can reach into your past and pull something behind you right in front of you. He is not bound by time. And I had to turn that clock off today because I'm here to tell you I'm going to break some in just a little bit. God is sick and tired of being bound by human time. He's sick and tired of you limiting him by your schedule of convenience. He's tired of being pushed into a box of what he can do and when he can do and how he can do it. And I'm here to tell you he's about to free you from the confines of time. Time is not going to be your excuse anymore. Time is not going to be your enemy anymore. I'm here to tell you this year God's about to shift how we see time. And we're about to step into eternal time. And the only way I can liken it, how I would teach my kids, is we're about to step into the dream world. And I actually believe in the natural. I saw it happen yesterday. God is going to pour out such an oil for dreams. But has anyone ever, like, fallen asleep for a cat nap? And you have a dream in like a 10-minute period. But then, Pastor Dawn, when you go to tell it, it takes you 20 minutes to regurgitate what you saw in five minutes. Because dream world is the closest grasp of eternity we get a flash of on this side of humanity. Dream world, right? When I go into dream, I am not limited by time. I am not limited by space. I am not limited by my physical capacities. Anybody ever flown in a dream? Anybody ever seen colors shift in a dream? Creatures and things? Dream is imagination land on steroids because it's God's eternal realm. It's why he speaks in dreams. It's the moment when you go to sleep, he can finally say what he wants to say because when you're awake, you let time steal it from you. You let flesh steal it from you. And I'm here to tell you, the church is about to enter, go over the threshold and enter through a door of eternal time in what I would call dreamland. And you're about to see time turned upside down for the positive and the negative. So I had to turn that clock off today because I want to step into God's time. And you better buckle your seatbelt because God does a lot in five minutes, just like he does in your dream world. And I heard two words in my spirit, Devin, 
This year will be a year full of epic times. I've been using the word epic a lot because it's in my spirit. And epic means time that is beyond usual and beyond ordinary. So I want you to look at your neighbor and say, it's going to be an epic year. If you thought anything about this year was going to be usual or ordinary, you missed the memo from the Holy Spirit. Because this year is going to be an epic year. Quite possibly one of the most epic years we have ever seen in the nation of Israel and in the United States. Those are going to be two very key nations as we come into this year. And I have so much to say about that. But it's going to be epic for the nation of Israel. And it's going to be epic for the United States of America. Then I heard this word, epoch. An epoch is a period of time in history or in a person's life that is typically marked by notable events and particular circumstances that begin a distinctive period that makes history. I need to say that again. It is a distinctive period that makes history that is marked by notable events and particular circumstances. And so I know this sounds crazy, but as I was praying about the new year, God said, Devin, it's going to be an epic epoch. It's going to be an epic epoch. I'm telling you, this year in the United States of America and this year in the nation of Israel, which will in turn affect the nations of the earth, it will be a historic year. There will be notable events. There will be marked activity that is unusual and not in the ordinary at all, extremely unusual. And you will tell your children, should the Lord tarry, 20 years from now about things that will take place in the coming year. Nothing will be normal. Nothing will be usual. And things will be extremely historic. They will be marked and they will be defined and they will be outside the confines of man-made time. God is going to do a lot in short increments of time. Listen, let me tell you something. You might need to take notes. This is not a lightweight word today. This is just my introduction. It's going to be an epic epoch. The word says so much about epoch, and I am going to skip these scriptures today because I want to get to what the Lord has to do. But I challenge you, go study the word epoch in scripture. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 16. You know how to look at the sky. You know how to see if it's red at night, sailors delight, red in the morning, sailors take warning. Jesus is like, you know how to predict the weather, but you are ignorant of the times and the seasons. In other words, he expected the church to carry a responsibility of knowing not what time it is on your watch, but what time it is on his heart. And the reason why I turned that clock off is we are obsessed with knowing what time it is in the natural, but we are disconnected and we are ignorant of asking God, what time is it in the spirit? And I'm telling you, some of you are going to make some radical changes in your life. And you're going to wake up every day. And instead of looking at your clock for direction first, you're going to ask Yahweh, Father, what time is it today? What time is it today? I've been called into the season for such a time as this. And today, there's a 12 or a 15 hour period. I am awake and I am at your service. What do you have for me today? Asking God what time it is, not Siri. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 1, he 
he says this, you brothers and sisters should not be in darkness that the day of the Lord should take you as a thief, even though it will come unexpectedly to the world. We quote that and we say, oh, Jesus, the day of the Lord is gonna come like a thief in the night. No man knows the day or the hour. You might as well let it go. But Yahweh did say you would know the season. He expects you to know the season. And I don't wanna ruffle anyone's feathers in here. You don't have to become Jewish to be saved. But I'm here to tell you that word season is actually feast. He was saying you will know the feast. What are the feasts, Devin? They are things seven feasts God established from the beginning of time. They are not Jewish feasts. They are not Christian feasts. They are God's feasts that are meant to be a calendar marking. See, you go January, February, March, April, May. God goes Rosh Hashanah. He goes Passover. He goes Feast of Tabernacles. He has a calendar. And we in America think if we celebrate the feast, we're trying to be Jewish. And I'm here to tell you, no, you're not. You're just trying to understand the times. And if you will understand the, the festivals that God created, for you, you will not be ignorant about the coming day of the Lord. It's insane, actually, how plain God makes it. You do know Jesus became the Passover lamb on Passover. You do know the fire of the Holy Spirit and the harvest of the church came on Pentecost. Those things were feasts that were already established. And when God decided to fulfill his word, he did it according to his feast. Yet they missed it because they were looking at this watch. They were not looking at his watch. And just a fun fact for you, one of the few feasts that have not been fulfilled is the one we're celebrating right now, Rosh Hashanah. Why does Devin have women of fire? Because one day we're going to be in here and we're going to twinkle our eyes and we're going to be in heaven around the throne. Because I absolutely believe what the apostle said when the last trumpet sounds, that 100th blast of the trumpet, that the eastern sky will split and every eye will see him on that day. Why do you think he's coming in the summer? He comes according to his calendar. Now, I don't know the day or the hour. I don't know if it's today. I don't know if it's next year. I don't know if it's 10 years, but I do know the feast. I do know the season. Because you know, we exit Feast of Tabernacles and we go into the 10 days of all and then we go into Day of Atonement, which purchases and cleanses the nation. And then we go into Tabernacles, you know, where we tabernacle with him. We dwell with him in the glory where we are with him and we are with him for a thousand years worshiping in heaven. Do you see how the calendar of God tells the story? Yet you wake up every day and you don't even ask him what time it is. So Esther, I am putting a responsibility on you this year. You cannot wait until you miss a moment. You cannot look at your earthly clock to know what moment it is. Esther was in the palace. She was ignorant of her season. And it took Mordecai. It took the Holy Spirit saying, Hey, Esther, this is your season. This is your time. So look at your neighbor and say, I'm not going to be ignorant this year. So I'm going to tell you, a couple of things it's time for, and I'm gonna park it at one. And that's where I'm gonna to preach today. But number one, I just have to talk to the daughters in this room for a moment. I want you to shout the word undoing. <laughs> that means something that has been done is reversed or undone. 
And if I could describe what I'm sensing in my spirit about this year, it is going to be the year of the great undoing. Oh, the enemy has done some things. The kingdom of darkness has done some things. Even the church has done some things. And this is the year God says, everything that can be shaken shall be shaken. And everything that's standing that's not of me, I'm about to level it. And every foundation that I have not built, I'm about to shake it. He's about to undo some things that have been done but are no longer permitted because of the time. Mary was allowed to stay comfortable in her hometown, pregnant with Jesus. Yahweh left her alone as long as he could. But I think of poor Mary on that donkey, traveling all the way to Bethlehem, having labor pains. And you think, Jesus, that's so cruel. I actually had this conversation with God. Why did that poor woman, she had already been through so much. And God said, I left her comfortable as long as I could, Devin. But he could not be born in her zone of comfort. He had to be born in Bethlehem. And it says, when her time had come upon her, there was a necessary shift in her life. And I'm here to tell you, there's been some things that have been allowed in your life. God has loved you enough to leave you in your comfort as long as he can. But right now, we're about to enter the great undoing. And some of you are about to enter what Pastor Paula said was the chaology of transition because God loves you too much to leave you 10 miles outside of your destiny. What is in you, it has a target. It has a place. It has a a destination and God is about to jerk you out of where you are to position you where you should be because of the time your hour is upon you so there's my first undoing God is about to make us uncomfortable look at your neighbor and say uncomfortable that's how it all started for Esther in Esther 4.4, 4, Mordecai knew what was going on in the city, and Esther was completely disconnected from the edict that had gone out. She was completely disconnected. And Mordecai had put on sackcloth and ashes, and he was out there grieving. And Esther 4.4 4 says this, that Esther became exceedingly grieved. Say uncomfortable. Do you know what that word means there when it's talking about the grief she was carrying? It literally means to writhe in pain. In other words, there was movement connected to pain that happened in her life. And it was absolutely necessary to shift her from a position of being comfortable into a position of taking action because it was her time. Esther literally, that word means to move in pain. She could not sit still in the palace anymore. I like to visualize her. She was pacing. She was holding her belly saying, oh, something's wrong. I don't know what it is. I'm not sure what's going on, but I'm restless. Something is moving me. And that's when Mordecai sent her the message and said, Esther, it's time. It's time, I know you won the beauty contest. I know you went through process. I know you're eating the fat of the land and you're wearing your crown and you have your royal wardrobe. I know you sit in comfort with servants who fan you, but right now it's time and God is producing a discomfort inside of your spirit because he has more for you than just to seat you on a throne. He has a 
you as an intercessor over. And he loves you enough to make you uncomfortable so that you are forced to move into position for the time. So I'm telling you, if you're looking for a year of comfort, you're not going to find it unless you're in perfect alignment with his will. God is about to unmask the bride. I'm about to say a mouthful in 30 seconds. Are you ready? Don't put the mask back on your mouth. I'm going to say it again. Don't put the mask back on your mouth unless you have a medical condition or a doctor tells you and listen that is very valid I'm talking to all of you that you know you got a good immune system you know COVID just gives you a cold you quit wearing that mask and propagating fear you leave that mask for the people who need it and I came to announce to the church don't you put that mask back on you hear me we missed a moment. We muzzled the bride. We shut down our churches. We went silent and we are paying the price. The enemy came in in our silence and he took seats of authority from the ecclesia. And I'm here to tell you, not this year. Do you hear me, daughters? Not this year. For such a time as this, God is about to remove the mask. I've heard at least five women leaders say this. They've said this phrase, I've lost my filter. And I have too. Anybody felt like that? You've lost your filter. You've lost your mask. Because I'm here to tell you time is short. And God is not going to play with the devil anymore in the church. He's not going to cohabitate with darkness from pulpits anymore. And I'm here to tell you, you're about to hear preaching that is fiery. And that might be a little divisive. Because God said, I don't have time for mess anymore. I don't have time for wasted breath. There's a John the Baptist anointing returning to the pulpits where we're going to wear camel hair and we're going to speak the word of the Lord. So daughters, hear the word of the Lord. Take off your mask. Throw away your filter. This is not the time. Because I'm going to tell you the last season cost us some time. This season it's going to cost you your house. Oh, you heard Pastor Paula say it first. Mordecai said, Esther like actually thought she had a choice. She said, dude, let me think about this just for a moment. Let me weigh the risk. Hmm, this is what my Genesis does when we ask her what she wants to watch. Hmm. Esther said, hmm. And Mordecai said, let me make it real plain for you, Esther. Take your time, sweetheart. Make your choice. But just know if you're silent, God will find somebody else with a mouth. But your family will perish. Your children will perish. Your father's house will cease to exist. And I come under the anointing of the Lord to tell you and every person of influence in this nation, if you want to choose to be silent, if you want to take the comfortable path, you go right ahead. God will raise up 10 prostitutes off the street. He'll save them, put his fire in them. He'll let them open their mouth and your household will perish. But God will raise up a remnant that will not bow. (laughs) 
shake your neighbor and say, we can't be silent. He's going to make you uncomfortable. He's going to make you unveiled. He's going to make you unmasked. And then he's about to unlock some things. I brought a key with me. Pastor Amanda, how long ago did you give this to me? A year ago. Wow. I brought a key with me. And if you hadn't figured it out from 25 people who said it, I'm preaching on doors today. Some of you are like, did she change her message? No, I'm going there. It's an undoing. He's about to unmask. He's about to make us uncomfortable. He's about to unveil the bride. And I'm going to save that for another time. You can go figure. There's about to be an unveiling of what is light and an unveiling of what is darkness. God is about to pull the covers off. There's about to be a great undoing of deception. And I'm going to tell you this. This year, you're going to know light and darkness. And what's sad is people are going to still choose darkness, but ignorance won't be their excuse. God's about to pull the covers off and make it plain. You're about to see the great exposing, the great undoing. God is about to unveil who the real bride is and who the whore of Babylon is. God's about to pull the covers off of the shepherds versus the hirelings. I'm here to tell you, you watch, you won't be deceived anymore. God's about to send a spirit of truth to make it plain for his daughters. And an unlocking. So let me break down 5784. I am not a rabbi. I am not a theologian. I just have friends who are. So this is going to be like what I teach my students. My poor students are hearing this. They, they have gotten this teaching in class for six weeks, and you get it in 30 minutes. But we're entering from the year 5783 to the five, year 5784. And I want to break those numbers down for you so I can get to these doors. Number one, five. Ready? What does the number five mean? Grace. Good. See, you already know so much. Grace. Seven. What does the number seven mean? Completion. Very good. What does the number eight mean? New beginnings. I have some ladies who know what time it is. This is awesome. New beginnings. And then the biggest change is the shift to number four. And does anyone want to take a guess what that number four means? Doors. It's the Dalit. So in the beautiful Hebrew language, letters and numbers, letters have numerical value and numbers have picture value and it's all this really cool teaching someone much more educated could teach you. But I just want you to know that the number four is the symbol or the imagery of a door. Okay, and that numeric value for that letter that looks like a door is four. So this is where we get that. We are shifting into the year of doors. Now let me be careful because I've accidentally said it. I've heard a lot of people proclaim it. This is the year of open doors. And that is only half the truth. Because a door swings two ways. It opens and it shuts. And Dalit just means doors. And I'm here to tell you I brought this key because has anybody been seeing 22, 2, 2, 2, the number 2 over? Raise your hand so I don't feel crazy. Thank you. Amanda's key is 922. We'll get to 9 in just a minute. Because that number 22, if you've been seeing that, that's a reference to Isaiah 22, 22, the key of David. 
The key that was given to the church of Philadelphia in the book of Revelations, the church of brotherly love. I will open doors that no man can shut, but it also says I will shut doors that no man can open. So I know we want to shout over the open doors, but before I'm done with this message, some of you are going to shout more over the closed doors than you do the open doors. And both are about to simultaneously happen. In fact, this is how I said it at Hope NYC. Anybody ever had this experience? It'll scare you to death. You come in the front door and you open it and you hear a door in the back of your house slam shut or open. Like the draft, the wind comes through the house and you will move one door and without effort, a door somewhere in the distance will move in response to that door. This is what's about to happen in 5784. God's going to open one door and at the same moment, you're going to grab the handle and say, here I come. And all of a sudden, you're going to hear the slamming of a door on the other end of your life because that door, when it opens, it automatically shuts that one. Or God is going to say, sweetheart, I'm closing that door. And you're going to say, yes, Lord, season done. And you're going to slam it. And you're going to be focused on what he's closing. And what you're not even going to know is you're going to feel the draft of the Ruach behind you. Because when you shut that door over here, a door just swung wide open without effort. There's going to be closing and opening simultaneously. So if I break down the whole word in the whole year in elementary terms. God is about to empower the bride with grace, which is the power to do something you can't do. When God gives you grace, and it's, a it's an empowering. Grace is an empowering to do what you cannot do on your own. God is about to give a grace to complete some things so that doors of new beginnings can open over your life. There is a grace to finish some things so God can begin some new things and those new things will be opened up through the, will be ushered in through the closing and opening of doors. That's basically the breakdown of 5784 because God doesn't start something before he finishes something. God is not like some of your husbands who start things, but they don't finish them. God, rest assured, is a finisher. And if you're not a finisher in your life, you should pray for the nature of God. Because God always completes what he starts. And some of you, there are some things hovering in your life that have yet to be completed. And you think God is just going to move on to the new thing. But I'm here to tell you in this season of new beginnings, God is about to supernaturally finish some things that have been incomplete in your life. And you're going to see full circle moments at the threshold of the door of new beginnings. Do you hear me in your spirit? You're going to get to the threshold of a door. And it's going to be a new thing. But before you cross over, you're going to have a full circle moment where the old thing is finished. Now that doesn't make you shout if you don't have any incomplete, incomplete promises in your life. That doesn't make you shout if God hasn't started something in your life you haven't seen the fullness of. But if you have some things in your life that have yet to be complete, that have yet to be fulfilled, that have yet to be finished, then I'm here to tell you seven and eight are next to each other because God will finish an old thing and birth a new thing at the same time. You're about to get caught up in an epic epoch season where God finishes a whole 
beginnings. So if you're in this place and you have some things that need to be finished, need to be completed, need to be fulfilled, would you raise your hands all over this place? Right now, Father, as we decree this word, we pray for a finishing anointing to hit the house of every hand that's lifted. Father, I pray right now for every promise to be completed and fulfilled. Every work that you began, that this would be the year we would see the fulfillment. That this would be the year of full circle moments over every daughter, over every ministry, every business, every child, every marriage. I decree, Father, you are not a man that you should lie. And this will be the year of your faithfulness where we testify that what you started, you faithfully finished. God, release that grace in this room right now and then it will be an opening of new beginnings so I'm gonna start breaking down see do you see me do you see me look at the clock to determine what I can say and guess what I don't have a clock <laughs> I just guess I have to look at the Holy Spirit and ask him what I should say there are three specific doors in the book of Revelation found in Revelation 3 and Revelation 4. And if you will allow me the grace to let you go read that text later, I'm going to dive into what they say. Revelation 3, Revelation 4. First is Jesus is talking to the churches, the seven churches, which are the candlesticks before the Lord. And then as he's talking to John on the Isle of Patmos. So I'm going to dig into it right now. There are three doors that are opening. And I'm going to start with this door. Everybody say the door of fellowship and communion. In the book of Revelation chapter 3, my children used to sing a song that's attached to this verse. And it goes like this. Behold, behold, I stand at the door and... Not, I got some Baptists in here. I stand at the door and knock, knock, knock. Behold, behold, I stand at the door and... If anyone hear my, if anyone hear my, and will, I will. I'm so proud of you. Cedarmont Kids is really something our children need. It's the word. And I'm here to tell you this is the door of fellowship. He said to the church, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and will open this door, I will come in and I will sit with him and I will eat with him. So let's break this down really quickly. Five, can you give me five minutes at each door? Probably 10 on the last. So when you go home today, are you going to knock at your door before you enter? No. Because we don't knock on doors of places we dwell in. We don't knock on the doors of places we own or that we live in. We knock on the doors of homes that we are guests in. So the first question we have to ask ourselves is why is Jesus knocking on the door of the church? Why is Jesus on the outside knocking? And I'm here to tell you because the, in the church in America, we have made him an invited guest. 
an optional attendee to our party on Sunday mornings. We know how to have church with him. We know how to have church without him. He doesn't have a key. It's only when we feel like it. It's only when it matches our schedule. It only when it, when it matches what's convenient. It only when it feeds our agenda. We just tell Jesus, stop on by every once in a while so we can keep the money flowing and the people coming. But the truth is we've got this without you. And Jesus is on the outside of the door knocking in a place he's supposed to live. He's knocking. Then it says this. If anyone hears me, this is a problem, Kevin, because there's so much noise happening on the inside that they actually can't hear the Savior at the door. The music is so awesome and loud, and the dancing is so awesome, and the smoke and the lights and everything that's taking place, it's so noisy, but it's not powerful. It's so noisy, but it's absent of transformation because loud isn't always powerful. Listen, I'm loud. We've made you shout 150 times this weekend because loud can be powerful. But let me tell you this, it's so noisy on the inside, they can't hear the one sound that really matters. And it's him knocking. And I'm here to tell you, this is the year churches all over America will decide are they gonna let him in? Or are they gonna leave him on the outside? And I'm gonna say something I'll probably regret later. No, I won't, I've lost my filter. I'm here to tell you, if the churches don't open the door this year, there'll be some of the first doors that close. I say that with grief and heaviness of heart. I told you it's gonna be a heavy word, this is it. God is saying, this is it. I already went through a season where the church doors were closed, but this year it's not so. I'm knocking. If you can stop long enough to hear in the middle of all your noise, the one sound that matters, and if you will open, he's coming in. But if you don't, I'm here to tell you, that there will be some doors that shut this year, even on places that call themselves houses of worship, but are void of the one who is to be worshiped. It's time to open the door. But even in your own life, oh, this is gonna be fun. God wants you to open the door. Hey, can I get a chair? Can you grab me a chair? Let's pick one up. I mean, I can pretend sit and get in shape. He said, if you open the door, you know, some people, I said this at Pastor Shero's, you hear somebody knocking, this is me, and I'm like, oh God, I don't want to open the door. I don't know who it is. I don't know what they want. I'm in my PJs right now. I'm playing with my babies. I don't know. You know, we're afraid to open the door because we don't know what to expect. And some of you, you don't really want to leave Jesus on the outside. You're just not sure what to expect. You don't know what he's going to mess up. You don't know what he's going to ask of you. You don't know what he's going to require of you, especially if you're a wife and a mom. Every time somebody calls your name, it's because they want to demand something from you but I'm here to tell you this is the knock you want to answer this is the guest you want to open the door for he's not here to take from you do you know what his agenda is to feed you 
He came and he said, of all the things Jesus could say, he said, if you'll open the door, I'm gonna sit with you. I'm gonna eat with you. I'm gonna drink with you. I'm gonna feed you. And we see the picture of the table so much throughout scripture and I can't get stuck here, I've got two other doors. But this is the heart of the Father. Communion, fellowship, and this is what the church needs. This is what you need. Can I pull this back to Esther for just a moment? Some of us in our absence of Jesus and in our noise and our activity that is void of him, we have produced a church that is starving and anemic and emaciated, a skinny, starving bride. But I'm here to tell you, before Esther could ever walk in her anointing, before Esther could ever take her place in the king's chamber, she had to go through a process, right? You've heard it preached. Esther went through a process. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit today, but I want to talk about one aspect of that process and you're never going to believe this but before Esther could go before the king they had to fatten her up go read history in that culture to be skinny was a sign of poverty I need to talk to my women with curves in this room right now. King Xerxes did not want a skinny bride. It meant she was poverty stricken. And I'm here to tell you, the church in America is poverty stricken. We are poor and skinny and lightweight because we are starving for his word. We are starving for his spirit. And this is the year God wants to come in and fatten up his girls. He wants to put some meat on your bones. You're not going to survive the season that's coming if you don't learn to get at a table of communion with him. Your gift won't save you. Your talents won't sustain you. Only the meat and the bread of his word. Only the wine of his spirit. God said, open the door. You're starving. Let me prepare a table for you. So when you look at your neighbor and said, I'm getting fat this year. I'm getting fat this year. Let me tell you something. This actually happened to me. As I was preparing for this conference, the Lord told us to fast meat. Because of the seven in five, seven, eight, four, which is the shava, the perfect will of God, so that we would, the, our meat was to do the will of the one who sent us. Anybody fast meat with me in here? We were lining up for the perfect will of God. But then the Lord did something that was horrible for our figures, right, ladies? He said, eat bread. He said, according to Numbers chapter 11, you will eat giants for your bread. And so every day I had women making me homemade loaves of bread, Melissa White, chocolate chip muffins, pumpkin muffins, cream cheese muffins. And then my daughters came to me with a prophetic word about donuts. They said, Mom, it's a full circle moment. It's the bread of the Spirit. So every day in our fast, we ate donuts in the Wallace house. I got fat. I gained weight on a fast. And the words came out of my mouth. I said, Zion, I'm gaining weight on this fast. And God said, fatten up, Esther. Fatten up, Esther. I'm going to show you this ain't the time to lose weight in the kingdom. I'm about to put spiritual meat on your bones. You're not going to pull away from the table. This is the year to come and dine. The master calls. Come and dine, ladies. 
your house. He's knocking on your door. And what's in your womb is going to cause a hunger to overtake you. And I'm telling you, communion and fellowship produces fruit. It produces fruit. There is a fruit that will come from this table. And I'm here to tell you, I hate to always be the one who prophesies negative things, but in this year of undoing and unveiling, you're about to find out that an absence of fruit is an absence of intimacy. There's going to be a lot of people that carry a title and say they're anointed to do something, but if they don't have fruit, gifts are not the reflection of intimacy. You can be unsaved, sitting on a bar stool, shooting up heroin, and still sing really good with your gift. But if you don't have the Spirit, you won't have fruit. And I'm here to tell you, it is communion and fellowship with him that will fill your womb with fruit. That's the nine on the key. And the nine I'm going to get to in a minute because this is a year of pregnancy. And I'll explain that in a moment. But I'm here to tell you, God is putting you at a table to produce fruit. God is demanding fruit from his bride. But I need to tell you something. This is going to be a fruit unlike any other season you've ever experienced. Because most of the time when I say God is demanding fruit from you, the first thing we do, ladies, is we go into work mode. We go into production mode, right? We were cursed with it from the beginning. As soon as Adam called, called us Eve instead of woman, we were defined by what we could produce instead of who we were. We were defined about what we, by what we could birth instead of our identity as daughter. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus broke the curse off Eve. He never called a woman Eve. He always called her woman or daughter because I'm here to tell you, this is the year of the daughters and we will not produce fruit by labor and production, fruit will come from relationship. Let me teach it like this. It's a different kind of fruit, free from productivity. Jesus helped me have a little bit of a filter. I can wash my dishes, and that is work that produces the fruit of clean dishes. And I hate washing dishes. I can wash clothes and I'm being productive, but it is requiring work, right? But some of you, you're crazy. You like doing laundry, right? Do I have any of those people in this room? Right. Who in here likes to cook? Right. Who in here likes to do dishes? Surely not. Right. There are some things that you don't consider work because they are attached to pleasure. And what is considered work to you is what you have to do, but you do not enjoy doing. And what is considered pleasure to, do, to you is what you don't have to do, but you choose to do because it is fulfilling to you. Now, here's where I need a filter. My dishes are not the most productive thing I'm able to do as a woman. My laundry is not the most productive thing I can do as a woman. But there's this gift I have inside of me, as Pastor Paula said, as the womb man. And the most productive, culture-changing, inheritance-building weapon. I, the most productive element of my life is to bear fruit in my womb. So brace yourselves. The most productive fruit you can bear is attached to pleasure, 
not work. Oh, some of you are like, well, that's not how my marriage works. I don't know what she's talking about. Let me talk about how God meant for it to be. He actually designed for your most productive moments to be the result of a season of pleasure and joy and even rest. <laughs> Do y'all want me to sit down? But I'm not going to. Some of you are so busy being productive, doing things that aren't eternal, you can't be still enough to actually conceive the fruit that is actually eternal. God wants his daughters to stop running around and start sitting at a table of fellowship and understanding that this is not the season you will produce by the sweat of your brow. This is the season you will bear fruit from the pleasure of his company. So look at your neighbor and say, no sweat. God spoke this to me about this year. He said, Devin, this year you're going to be the most productive you've ever been with the least amount of sweat in the spirit. Why? Boy, I didn't know this till God spoke it to me. But let me read to you from Isaiah 44. The Levitical priests, the sons of Zadok, they kept charge of the sanctuary. They stood before the Lord to offer the offerings to him. God says this in verse 16. They shall enter my sanctuary. Are you ready? And they shall approach my table to minister to me, and they shall keep my charge. But when they enter the gates of the inner court, the inner court they have to wear linen garments. They shall have nothing of wool on them while they minister at the gates of the inner court. They shall have linen turbans on their head and linen undergarments. That means their underwear was linen around their waist. They shall not bind themselves with anything, are you ready, that causes sweat. God actually forbid sweat from being emitted from the human body in the holy court, in the holy of holies. Why? Because sweat was the aroma of the curse. You do realize when Adam and Eve were put in the Garden of Eden, Eden means pleasure. It was the garden of pleasure that would produce fruit. When God told Adam, I want you to work the ground and produce the fruit, it did not mean to sweat. In fact, if you read it in the original Hebrew, it actually means Adam was to speak to the ground and command it to give him fruit. And then after the curse, God said, you're not going to be able to speak it anymore, Adam. Now by the sweat of your brow, you're going to have to work that thing in order to get any fruit. And Eve, I'm so sorry, but the curse has now made your pains increase. How many have ever had a baby and not sweated? You must have had a good epidural. Who in here has ever had a child and the sweat poured off your brow laboring? I'm here to tell you, God hates sweat. He hates it so bad. Before Jesus went to the cross, he broke the curse of sweat off of you. Oh yes, we're going back to the garden of labor, the garden of productivity, the garden where the curse took pleasure away from man. Jesus went all the way back to the garden and he got on his knees and he said, let the blood break the curse. And the Bible says he began to sweat. He began to sweat until that sweat turned to great drops of blood. And I want you to know in the garden of his agony, he restored the garden of your pleasure. And daughters, you're not going to sweat this year. You're going to have delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you 
the desires of your heart. Is this microphone on? I break the lie of religious production off of you, daughter. Get off the treadmill. Break off those chains. Run to the table. Remove the sweat. Wash yourself and say, Lord, it's you and me in a garden of pleasure. And from this, I'll produce the fruit of the kingdom. Even Esther went through a year of treatments in oil. Do you want to know why? Because sweat was not permitted in the king's chamber. The king did not want her to smell like the aroma of her orphanhood and her slavery. So for a year, they put Esther over a fire, women of fire, and they made her sweat profusely. And she sweated over top myrrh and frankincense until it got in her skin. And there was literally a chemical transition that happened in Esther's life so that when she came into the presence of the king, if sweat dared to pour from her pores, it smelled like the aroma of oil instead of the odor of labor. When you're a queen, you don't sweat, sweetheart. You sit on your throne and you open your mouth and you make decrees. When you're a queen, you have a seat of royalty and a crown upon your head and a diadem in your hand. You're not going to be the slave girl, Cinderella, very much longer. I'm here to tell you, Yahweh is calling you to your rightful position and it's time to get the sweat out of your life and operate in intimacy. These other two are going to be fast. They're going to have to be. So you're not going to eat sweat, bread, Jesus, by the sweat of your brow, say a table of fellowship. I'm caught up in the fellowship. We're going to sing that song. I'm caught up in the fellowship, Jesus. Right now, before I move on, I'm going to move them up. Right now, Father, I pray you would begin to knock on every heart that has become deaf to your call. Right now, you would knock on the heart of every emaciated, starving daughter in this room who needs a meal from her lover. She needs the bread. She needs the wine. I want to talk to a bride that's been emaciated, Father, and I pray right now she would have the courage to open the door and let you in and get caught up in your fellowship. These doors are progressive. If you don't come through fellowship, you will never enter this next door, which is the door of revelation. This is what Tori read last night. It's why I get to preach it fast. John in chapter, Revelation chapter 4, the Spirit said, John said, I looked up and I saw a door in the heavenlies. It opened unto me and I heard a voice like a trumpet saying, come up here. And I will show you what's about to happen. For those of you who are just itching to know what's about to happen, you will never know what's about to happen if you don't learn to sit at a table of communion with him. John was the beloved disciple who operated in fellowship with Jesus. And this table was the key to a door that no other apostle or disciple walked through. And
And if you want to know the secrets of the Lord, let me tell you something. Secrets are not for servants. Secrets are for friends. Commands are for servants. Secrets are for friends. And you may be a good soldier in the army of the Lord receiving commands right now, but this is the year he wants to invite you through a door of revelation where you're not just following blindly anymore, but he invites you into a partnership of intimacy where he reveals the secrets of his heart to you. John was looking up. Tell your neighbor, look up. If you're not looking in the right direction, you will miss the opportunity to come up into his presence. If you're looking everywhere but toward him, you will not even recognize that the door is open over your life or over your home or over your ministry. But because John was looking up in the direction of heaven, he was able to see a door of revelation open for him. And there was a voice, and it didn't say, John, I'm coming down to where you are. Not this door. This is not a door where we invite Jesus into our chaos and Jesus into our worry and Jesus into our mess. This is not a door where Jesus is coming into your room. This is a door where you're being invited into his room. It's a door to the throne room. You better be careful before you open this door because it's a door to the supernatural, to the unusual. It's a door to the eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man. It's a door that does not necessarily make sense to your natural ears and eyes. Behind this door, there's a throne and a rainbow and lightnings and thunderings. There are elders with crowns and living creatures with wings and eyes. There's a storm. There's the sound of those crying, holy, holy, holy. This is not a door you can just look at your watch and enter and exit whenever you please. In fact, this is a door you open. This is a door he opens. And we better learn in the church this year, when this door opens, you don't want to say to your lover, not now. You don't want to say, it's not time, it's inconvenient. This is a door only he opens to those who have been at the table of fellowship. And it is a door to the revelation of what is to come. Look at your neighbor and say, come on up. It is a door to what is heavenly accessible. And I wanna break a religious lie off some of you that think heaven is only available when you die. that the realm of the supernatural is only available when you die. I'm here to tell you, John did not die in Revelation chapter four. He just exited the natural realm for just a moment and was caught up into a very real, active, currently operating supernatural realm. God took him out of his natural circumstances, deposited eternity in him, and then dropped him back into his natural circumstances. And I'm here to tell you, this door might not be for everybody but this year some of you are about to cross the threshold of supernatural encounters with Yahweh in dimensions and realms you didn't know you had access to you're going to be praying in your closet one moment and then you're going to be over the continent of Africa praying and interceding the next you're going to be just worshiping God faithfully in the morning at the table of fellowship and a door is going to swing open in your bedroom and 
you're going to have angelic visitation. You're going to hear the brush of angels' wings. You're going to hear the heavenly choirs singing. Say, door of revelation. And behind this door, as he opens it, it's a throne. It's all about him. It's his holiness. It's his kingdom come. It's his will be done. And this is the realm where he will reveal his secrets and what is to come in the world around us. This is the realm where you can actually get the revelation of what time it is. This is the place where the scepter tips. This is where he says, daughter, ask of me, and I will give you up to half of my kingdom. This is the domain of the king where his will is released in the earth. This is the throne room. And Esther, if you're going to rule and reign, you better get used to the throne room. You better get used to the courts of heaven. I'm here to tell you, we're trying to do too much from this realm. We're trying to pull him down here to accomplish things. And he let us know in Revelation chapter 4, I can't get the job done with you down there. I'm going to pull you up and give you my perspective. I'm going to pull you up into my dominion so I can redeposit you on the earth. And you can bring my will from eternity. And you can enforce it in the natural realm. That's the purpose of a throne room visitation. It's to receive a deposit of eternity and to release it into reality. Who wants to be a carrier of the revelation of the Lord? I'm almost done. You can breathe. And this last one, I don't know if it's good or if they're dying. They're quiet and I'm going to keep going. I need notes for this. Y'all can go preach this in a 10-sermon series. I get one moment with you. (laughs) Doors of opportunity. Are you ready? This is great. He said in Revelation chapter 3, Behold, before you, I am placing a door of opportunity. And I'm here to tell you, this is the year for your personal life, for your household, for your church, for your business, you mark my word, God has prepared moments of opportunity before his people. This is the year, doors of opportunity. This is the key of David door, where he will open doors for you that no man can shut. And he, at the same time, will shut opportunities that are thieves from the real opportunity he has for you. You're going to learn to appreciate the diversity of the key. You're going to say, Father, you can open that, you can shut that. Just give me fierce focus on my assignment. This is the year that you start Stop being drained. That the leeches get off your back. This is the year you stop prostituting yourself to things God did not call you to do. This is the year that good things are shut so God things can open. This is the year you are efficient and you are effective because he opens the effectual door. So what's about to happen in some of your lives as this anointing is released in this house is God is about to narrow the doors in your life. And you're going to find that multiple doors are not always a sign of the favor of God. 
Sometimes the multiple doors are actually the sabotaging assignment of your adversary. And God's about to show you, you don't need 10 doors. You just need one anointed, focused door to turn the world upside around you. Mama, just because you can multitask don't mean you should multitask. God is tired of watching the enemy wear you out with distractions and sidebars and rabbit trails he never anointed you for. I don't know who I'm prophesying to, but I feel it in my belly. God in his love is about to slam some doors shut, but he's about to open the one door you were born for. The one door you were made for. So you tell him, Holy Ghost, work that key. Shut what needs to be shut. And I'm telling you, by this time next year, some of you are going to have, listen, I'm trying to prophesy to our tired bodies. Hear me in the spirit. You're going to have the most productive year you've ever had. And some of you, your calendars will be less full than they've ever been. Oh, you can't grasp that because the kingdom is an upside down, inside out kingdom. You think more means more fruit, but here is the t-shirt I'm about to make for 5784. Are you ready? Less is more. This is the word of the Lord to you, daughter. Less is more. Focus on the one thing that matters and let go of the distractions that are sucking the life out of you. Shake your neighbor and say, she said less is more. And some of you are going to find out the mathematics of the kingdom. He will actually prune. He will actually prune. He will actually prune so you bear fruit. He will take away so that you multiply. And you think addition, that multiplication comes from piling on. But that's not how the kingdom works. Multiplication comes from tearing off, ripping off, and stripping off. What is stealing your vitality? Don't be afraid of the pruning shears of the Lord. They have one, only one answer, Pastor Ton. Fruit, more fruit, or much fruit. When you get the pruning shears of the Lord, it doesn't mean you're gonna die. It doesn't mean you've done something wrong. It means you're gonna have one of three results and they're all good. It's either gonna be more fruit, it's gonna be fruit, more fruit, or much fruit. And you're about to enter a year where God's about to cut some things out. But when you come back here next year, you're gonna have baskets overflowing of fruit in your life because you learned that less is more. God, give me the strength to deliver this. I don't know if you're feeling what I'm feeling. I may be preaching to myself today, but there is a bomb stirring in my spirit right now. And I wish I could lay on my back and preach this message because it is so alive in my heart. This is a word for Devin Wallace. You mark my word. I will have baskets of fruit by this time next year, but I won't be tired. I won't be stressed. I won't be sweating. I'm going into the garden of pleasure and I'm coming out pregnant with the kingdom. Say, it's time to focus. Esther had to focus. And when you get anointed, people will tell you what you should do with that anointing. 
but you need to let God narrow down what he gave you that anointing for. I said this a couple weeks ago. The creatures behind this door, when they get around Yahweh, they have eyes in the front, eyes in the back, eyes under their wings, eyes down their side, because there's so much of him to focus on, right? That two eyes aren't enough, and you've got a problem. You've only got two eyes. Let me remind you, you've only got two eyes. What does that mean, Pastor Devin? You don't have focus to waste. You don't have focus to waste. Shake your neighbor and say, you better focus. What God has to unveil, the angels in heaven have multiple eyes to grasp. You and your humanity, you only have two eyes. You better stay focused on your assignment and quit letting the enemy steal your focus from him. So here's, this is it. I'm on my last page. Are you ready? So this is not only, if I can find it, did you steal it so I wouldn't preach it, Kevin? Thank you, God, I put it over here. Are you going to sleep or are you overloaded with revelation? Okay. This is, oh, I'm about to have fun now. So on this day of, this door of opportunity, listen to this. I'm, I'm really not preaching today, I'm teaching. I need you to take this in your spirit. These are phrases the Holy Spirit has instructed me for that I'm giving to you today. You didn't have to go to that table to get it. I'm just going to give it to you. He said, Devin, ordinary days will hold extraordinary opportunities. Okay. This is the year where ordinary days will hold extraordinary opportunities. So this is what happens. We're like, women of fire is six months away. Women of fire is three weeks away. Women of fire is two days away. And we know something extraordinary is going to happen, right? It's obvious because we've got 2,000 hungry, anointed women that come in here and we go after Jesus. How can anything less that, than a person getting out of a wheelchair happen, right? It's epic. But God wants to break you out of that mentality. Not only does he want you to expect something to happen at a conference or a special occasion, but he wants you on this year to wake up every day and understand he's the God of the ordinary and he knows how to make the ordinary extraordinary. This word extra, this is about to be fire. If I fall out, Kevin, you know my notes, preach them. This is the year of extra. Okay, just remember that. This is the year of extra. I'm coming there. First, it's the year of extraordinary, meaning he's going to put extra on your ordinary, and you're going to find out on the day you least expected, your whole life's about to change. On the day you least expected, your whole household's going to change. On the day you least expected, he's going to use your voice to do something supernatural. And God has to do it this way. This is how it happened to David. David went to bed one night, he woke up the next morning, and he was just going to do his ordinary activities, take care of the sheep, right? And then his father gave him an ordinary assignment. He said, dude, I'm not really worried about you, David. I don't really care that I'm putting you in danger because his father didn't really care about him at all. And he said, I'm going to send you to check on your brothers. That's who I'm worried about. Take this cheese, take this drink, and I want you to meet a bread, no meat. Take this to your brothers and give me a report. And David takes on an ordinary assignment, and he walks up and 
onto a battlefield and he has about two minutes to determine if he is going to receive the extra on his ordinary that day. And this is what's important. God did that on purpose. Because David had already been anointed to defeat Goliath before he knew he would ever face Goliath. David already had everything he needed within him to do what God had called him to do. I want to preach Cinderella, but I don't have time. But you know, Cinderella, she was called to go to the ball, and she didn't think she had what she needed till the fairy godmother, <coughs> Holy Spirit, shows up. And he says, sweetheart, give me that pumpkin. Bippity-boppity-boo, it's exactly what you need. Give me those mice. Bippity-boppity-boo, they're exactly what you need. And Cinderella learned a very powerful lesson. I already have everything I need. I just need the Holy Spirit to breathe on my ordinary and make it extraordinary. And I am absolutely equipped to go to the ball. And David already had it. And God knew if I tell David, he'll mess it up right? If God told you tomorrow you were going to defeat a giant, you'd go into tongues for 12 hours, you would fast, you would call intercessors, you'd be so worked up, you'd be so stressed and so nervous, you would miss your assignment. God is going to set you up on purpose because he doesn't want him plus you. He just wants it to be him. So he's going to remove your ability to prepare yourself because you're already in preparation. What is the key for this year? Pastor Paula said it. You better get ready now. You better get ready now because when the moment happens, you don't have time to get ready then. You're going to live every day ready because your ordinary could turn extraordinary at any moment. And you hear me. God already has it on the calendar for you. He already knows the moments he has crafted for you. That David walked onto a field on an ordinary day. And before he laid his head down that night, Kevin, he had toppled a national giant and was famous and before the king. But it was just a normal day. He probably didn't even eat breakfast. Right? He just showed up. Half the battle, Esther, is just you showing up. Half the battle is just you stepping in to your ordinary assignment so that God can do something extraordinary. And some of you are so obsessed with being extraordinary, you don't want to be ordinary. And you don't know that God uses your ordinary steps to set you up for extraordinary assignments. Quit despising the day of small beginnings. Wake up and embrace your ordinary day, knowing that at any moment, God can use you for extraordinary things. I'm going to move on. So David has this moment. I gotta make sure I'm saying all the things God wants me to say. Where his extraordinary his ordinary day became an extraordinary assignment. Say that word extra. I'm gonna skip a whole page and go for it. Because I feel it. I feel the time even though I don't see the time. Say this is the year of extra. Oh, Jesus, help me deliver this word. And let me tell you something. If you don't get it, I'm preaching to me right now because I can, you know, you can prophesy over yourself. Some of you just talk to yourself. Learn to prophesy to yourself. Learn to get into the mirror and speak the word of the Lord and know when it comes out of your mouth, the power to perform it is released right back at you. I'm prophesying to myself right now. This is my year of extra. 
Because not only is it the year 5784, but it is the year of the extra day. This is the year of the extra day. He is the God of the extra day. You did not maybe realize this. Are you ready? But 5784 this year is a leap year. I need you to hear me by the Spirit. This is a leap year. Pastor Evan, please help me. It's been a long time since I've been in school. What is the significance of a leap year? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm having conversations with myself because y'all are so quiet. In America, our poor natural calendar is flawed. We can't even keep track of the time we're obsessed with. And we just couldn't get it right in our Gregorian calendar. And so every year, you are actually robbed of time that you're supposed to have. Every year, you are robbed of some hours that are due you to keep our calendar on in order. And so every four years in the United States, we have to add a leap year. And that means it is an extra day to make up for time lost. It is an extra day to make up for time stolen. It is an extra day to make up for time that is due you. And if I can just make it spiritual, a leap year is a day of redemption. It is the extra day. It is when God sets a whole 24-hour period aside to say, whatever you lost in the last three years on year four, it's time to get it back. We are entering 5784 because you have had three years of lost time, but it's the fourth year, and God said, I'm about to let you take back and redeem the time that was lost. Jesus, help me. I don't know who needs to receive this word. But if you know in the past three years, go look at your calendar, that you have missed moments, you have lost moments, that the enemy has stolen moments for you. We are walking through a door of opportunity where God is about to restore the time. Oh, how does this relate to Esther? I'm so glad you asked. Woo! Not only does the United States have a leap year on the Gregorian calendar, but Israel operates on a lunar calendar, and they also have a leap year. This is what's insane. Usually our leap years don't coincide. But this year, Israel and the United States we're leaping at the same time, Kevin. <laughs> this year, what the devil has stolen from the United States in the past three years is about to be redeemed in the fourth year. And what the devil has stolen from Israel in the past three years, it's about to be a leap year for two nations who are going to leap at the same time. I need you to praise Yahweh right now. For alignment. Oh, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. What the devil stole from your purse.
curse, what he stole from our educational system, what he stole from our churches, what he stole from our families. I decree, Esther, this is the year we're gonna get it back. This is the year of divine reversal and redemption. Say it's about to be an epic epoch. I wish I could say I was done, but I got something else I gotta say. Woo! What are you doing, Devin? I'm getting drunk. In the US, we have a leap year every four years, and it will happen on February 29th, 2024. Two, two, Nine. Oh, Pastor Amanda, that's your key. Nine, two, two. Double birthing. And I was like, oh my God, you can't make this up. Our leap year is on the day of double birthing. Oh, I'm not done. In Israel, they have a leap year seven times in a 19 year period. My head hurts, I can't do that math. But it is also happening. It's our month of February, but it's Israel's month of Adar. And they will have two Adars. That means nothing to you unless you understand that Purim, which is the Feast of Esther, takes place in the month of Adar. Daughters, I came to tell you, this is the year in Israel they will celebrate two Adars while we celebrate the day of double birthing. And they happen in complete alignment because this is the year of Esther oil. Oh, hold on. You're going to get to run all over this place. And guess who started the leap year? Oh, I gotta read this. In Israel, we have an extra day. They have an extra month. So in Israel's leap year this year, they have 13 months in their year. Can I go to the word? What is the number of birthing? And you should know this, that in Hebrew, a leap year is referred to as Shana Muha Baret, and it means the year of pregnancy. <laughs> Israel's leap year is known as the Shana Mahu Baret. It's the year of pregnancy. It's the year that the bride gets pregnant with fruit. What is the number of birthing? And how many months do they have in their leap year? So can I read to you Esther 9:13? Can I read it to you? Good. Esther said, "If it pleases the king, let the Jews, yeah, yeah, give me, I want to preach like Kevin right now. Give me that. If it pleases the king, let the Jews who are in Susa be given one more day to do according to the king's edict and let Haman's sons be hanged on the gallows. Esther birthed the leap year. Esther birthed the leap year. Esther said, give me one more day to finish what was started. Do you hear me in this place? Somebody better praise him. It's your leap year. 
Can you take more? Because I don't know if I can take more. Can you take more, daughters? You didn't know your ester oil can create an epic epoch season. Esther was the original birther of the leap year. But you have to ask yourself, why did she ask for the extra year? Because Haman had been slain. His 10 sons, I don't have time to go into the number 10. His 10 sons had been slain. But they didn't have social media. They didn't have a newspaper. And the enemy could have kept the victory of Yahweh contained to each providence where it took place. But Esther said, nope, this job isn't done yet. Number one, we still have some enemies who are alive. King said, Esther, 500 people were killed today. She said, oh, but King, there are 300 more. Can I have one more day to finish the job? Somebody say completion. Not only is God going to complete some things, but he's about to give you an extra day so you can finish what he anointed you to do. And then Esther said, not only am I going to kill everybody, but I want to take Haman's 10 sons and I'm going to hang them on the gallows. What does that mean, Pastor Devin? She said, I want a public display of the defeat of my enemies. It was a testimony of warning to anyone else who would ever attempt to do what Haman did. She said, I don't want victory just for today. I want victory for my children and my children's children and my children's children. I'm about to send a message. I'm about to tweet it. I'm about to put it on my Insta. I'm about to put it on Facebook. I want you to see the enemies of Yahweh. They are hanging in the public square so that the devil won't dare to do it again. Somebody say, it's my leap year. This is my last. You can't make this up. I was up half the night. Thank you, Sharfry. Where is Dr. Sharfry? Where is she at in this room? She passed some information to Miss Doris, who passed it to me. And I was up half the night trying to figure out, oh my God, is this true? And guess what? It is true. Do you know what the Jewish rabbis are saying about this year? Oh my God, help me deliver this. Not only is it the year of doors, but it is the year of doors for the daughters. Oh my God, you cannot make this up. Now listen, Pastor Paula taught us this yesterday. Deborah rose to a specific position because village life had ceased in Israel. And she let us know that when it says village life ceased, it meant the men quit doing their job. And God said, okay, I'm going to let the men try it. But if they don't do it, I'm going to have to bring in a woman to finish it. I'm going to have to bring in a Deborah to finish it. Are you ready? Which number comes first, three or four? Three, I'm glad you said that. Because in the history of Israel and in the Jewish nation, they have three patriarchs. Say three. Abraham, 
Isaac and Jacob. They have three patriarchs, and we are exiting 5783. But this strange thing happens in the nation of Israel. They have three patriarchs, but they have four matriarchs, okay? They are, oh, help me, Lee, Rebecca, Sarah, Leah. What's is it Eve? I don't, don't feel right. I got to find it. There are four matriarchs, and I've screwed up my own notes. Somebody find them and shout them out for me. I'm not going to dishonor the matriarchs today. There are four matriarchs, and this is the year of the number four. Who are they? Rachel, Rebecca, Sarah, and Leah. There are four matriarchs. There are three patriarchs. There are four matriarchs. And this is the year of the Dalit of the four. So all over the nation of Israel, they are calling it the year of the matriarchs. It's the year of the door for daughters. And this is what's about to happen. What didn't get done in three is about to get finished in four. What didn't get finished in three is about to get finished in four. God said, I let the patriarchs take it, but what the men didn't finish, I'm about to raise up the Debras to finish the job. I'm about to raise up the Esthers to complete what Saul didn't finish. Somebody better praise him. So when Esther asked for the extra day, it's because she had a finishing anointing. And what you gotta know is Haman was a descendant of Agag. He was of the Amalekites. And there was a day of three where Saul had the opportunity, Pastor Michelle, to completely annihilate the Amalekites. And what's so crazy is Esther is a descendant of Saul. Listen to what I'm teaching. Haman is a descendant of Agag. Esther is a descendant of Saul. And there was a moment in Israel's history where God said to male Saul, kill all of the Amalekites. And Saul said, oh, I think I'm going to leave somebody alive. There's a little bit of plunder in there I want for myself. I'm more concerned about what I can get than my children right now. I'm more concerned about my kingdom right now. And Saul lost the kingdom. So God said, I'm not going that route again. Don, I'm not anointing a man again. I'll raise up a female descendant of Saul. And Esther said, God, if you give me one day, one more day, I'll finish what my family didn't finish. I'll finish what my family didn't finish. Girls, this is the year to finish it. Hey, you better run around this church. This is the year to finish what your family did not finish. Touch your neighbor right now and say, God, or anoint her to finish it. Anoint her to finish what the boys didn't finish. So I just decree all over this place before you leave women of fire, the epic epoch is in this room. It's your leap year, Esther. It's time God 